Takiora Lord, who worked alongside the militia in the Taranaki Land Wars, helped the government to purchase Māori land in her own tribal area and was guide and interpreter for Major von Temsky, remains such a contentious figure that some of her iwi still refuse to speak her name. But one of her direct descendants, actor and now playwright Nicola Kawana, is so fascinated by her great-aunt's story and motivations for working with Pākehā, she's been researching Lucy's story for some three decades. Now she's about to present a play based on the life of her fiercely independent and ambitious ancestor. When Kupapa premieres next week, Nicola hopes it will encourage more stories to emerge about overlooked women from New Zealand's past. She says she came across Lucy's story quite by chance, well before she knew they were related. Yeah, I found her in the Nola Miller Library at Toifakari when I was there a very long time ago and was looking for someone to base my monologue on. And I opened a book of Wahine of New Zealand and there were two photographs and one was of the one that... Uh, the, the one of her in Victorian dress, and the other photograph was of a Māori woman in a full traditional dress with a gun slung over her shoulder. Um, and it said that she worked for the government in Taranaki, in the Taranaki Land Wars, and that she was from Ngāti Ruanui, which is one of my iwi. So I was instantly fascinated because I saw the two different worlds that were presented in those images, and I related to those immediately coming from two different worlds myself but it was too big <laughs> it was a too big of a topic and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to say so I put that down but she kind of kept following me I played her before I knew that she was a a direct relation in a play by Ian Ray called him Manuro and it was about the life of Von Temsky so I played her in that and then I played her again in a television documentary about Von Temsky at that point, I had discovered that um, when my cousin gave me a printout of our Papa, that she sat right next to my great great grandmother Jane, and that she was in fact her sister. I must have it must have been I must have been a good. Oh, that was when I was doing woman far walking. Yeah, I was a good ten years in researching her until I discovered how directly related we were. And did that come as? A delight. I mean, were you so invested in her by that time that, you, that having, I think, great, 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 great aunt, uh, that you had that direct line meant something to you? It was kind of like a um, whoa <laughs> moment, and I don't know what because I had, I didn't know why she hadn't left me, why I was sort of a little bit obsessed with her, um, and then when I saw her placed right there, I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense to me, that she's that she's one of mine or one of ours with this really interesting story. Well, I think we should delve over, we've been skirting around it. Let's, let's thrust ourselves into her story because it is fascinating. In the 1860s, she worked for the British and the militia in the troops as, she wasn't called a kūpapa in history, but but that is what I understand. It's Māori who work for the government against their own. Uh, she worked as a guide and interpreter, uh, particularly to von, uh, Gustavus von Temsky. And she, there were some really famous battles against Titukawaru uh, in the Taranaki Land Wars. And so she, well, he mm, he was her whanaunga, <laughs> an uncle in sort of Pākehā terms, I guess, but more of a more like from the same hapu situation. And so she kind of worked with the government against him, which is fascinating. Why would you do that? But she didn't grow up there. She grew up in the Bay of Islands with her mum, Kotero Hinirangi, who had a famous run-in with Hunihiki. 
that working against your own people. But she also, her dad was British, um, and she grew up in Kororareka. She was born in 1843 in the Bay of Islands, and of course that was just after the treaty was signed and things were really heated up up there. It was a bit of a war zone and a bit of a, you know, they called it the hellhole of the Pacific. I imagine it was just lots of booze and trading. Well, that, that, there's that big word why hanging over this conversation. I mean, why, why would she? And would she have seen it as working against her own people? I don't know if she would, and part of the reason for writing this play is not to justify her actions or redeem her or uh, or vilify her either. It's it's to kind of put the humanity back into our ancestors. It's really easy when we're looking at our tūpuna to, to regard them as otherworldly and non-human, particularly from a couple of hundred years down the track. And I guess part of part of my wanting to tell her story was I kind of... I was a bit suspicious that, you know, whenever you're at a hui or something, somebody stands up and they talk about their tupuna and they say, my tupuna was, you know, brave and handsome and strong and all of this. And I'm I'm like, but we've all got bung ones as well, haven't we? We've got devious ones and naughty ones and cheeky ones. And she was written about a lot in history books, but in a really small, like she's mentioned in almost everything. If they talk about the land wars, she's mentioned everywhere, but just really ever so slightly. And from what I understand, she, you know, she was really significant. Uh, her work was really significant, but because all of our history books are, most of our history books are told by traditionally white men, uh, they're usually about men, predominantly white men, and then you know Māori men, and then lastly they might get a sneak of a, a woman in there. She falls between those two camps, doesn't she? So in terms of the Pākehā lens on history. As you say, she just simply wasn't significant enough in their eyes to warrant a mention for her achievements. And still now, I believe, you know, amongst her people, her name will not be spoken in some places. Yeah, I did mention her name years ago to a woman at Pariaka, and um, she said, we don't mention that woman's name here, which, of course, for me is just like bait as a storyteller. I'm like, why not? Who is she? And then I went to the New Plymouth City Council to actually find, I knew she was buried in New Plymouth at the cemetery, but couldn't find her myself. And it was because she was buried under a completely different name, Louisa de Alton. And um, her plot is to this day unmarked. It's just a piece of grass in between two headstones. So, of course, that's intriguing for me as well. And all of the different names she used, I'm, you know, that these are things that draw me in as a storyteller and go, who is this woman? You mentioned the photograph of her with a, a, a gun um, on her shoulder. So she was, as well as helping the government buy that Māori land in her tribal area, she was also a fighter. Well, um, about that photograph, which is widely used in a lot of our historical publications, that second photograph isn't her. Oh, really? Uh, it's actually not her. And um, some of my relatives have had this conversation with uh, the museums. And because whoever that wahine is, it'd be really good if, if her whānau claimed her. It's not Lucy. So the only known photograph of Lucy is the one in Victorian dress. She was a fighter too, wasn't she? she? Well, she, I mean, yeah, from what I understand, I also spoke, when I went, I went to school in Hawera, and my art teacher was a, a fabulous human called Nigel Ogle, who set up the Tawatiwati Museum, and it's a it's a museum to the history of South Taranaki and um, all of the land was, and he makes models and... He knows a lot of the history. He was saying that, you know, Lucy would have been street, really streetwise. She would have carried weapons. She would have known how to use them. She would have known how to take care of herself. 
and if she needed to take somebody's life over her own. So, yeah, she was very capable of using weapons. I know she went in with the troops to lead them into battle. Whether she was actively involved, I'm not sure, but she was certainly in there, you know, in the front of it. Those warrior qualities. Mm, mm. You um, came across letters that she'd written, and this is always a joy, isn't it, for a genealogist oh. and I imagine also for a playwright. Um, but, but what did you learn about her from her letters? So the letters are held in the Alexander Turnbull Library and they were written mostly to Donald MacLean. And so the, these are her work letters. This is her reporting on what she's seeing and what she's hearing and where she's going. So, you know, essentially she's a spy. <laughs> And she turns up at Hui and she takes on information and then she writes back to the Crown exactly what's going She She wrote about uh, Abikui at Pariaka and about what Te Fiti was saying in Titukawaru and about what their motives were. She wrote in one of those letters that Titukawaru approached her and said, if you were not born from my sister, I would kill you now. Uh, stop your work with the government. And she went straight back to her writing desk and wrote it all down. She said that she risked her life in giving information. She was acutely aware of that, but she kept doing it, which I find fascinating. I know she was paid quite well, so that might have been been a bit of a key. But I, but I also think in the letters, oh, yeah, so there's one there's one letter in particular that where she records the death of Von Temsky and the night that he was killed or the day he was killed at Te Ngotote Manu. And I got that letter early on and maybe 20, 25 years ago and I'd been reading it, you know, for decades. And a couple of years ago I was in Pukiariki in New Plymouth and they told me they had the actual letter there on site and that asked if I wanted to have a look at it and took me into a little room and said, look, we don't use gloves here, you can just touch it. And so, you know, they presented me with a letter and walked away and I just wept. I just held her letter and so, not on the letter <laughs> because it's very old, 1860. Yeah, it was dated 7th of September, 1868. And it was a thing I'd seen a transcript of my entire life and there was her handwriting and I was holding it. So, yeah. Could you learn something from her from her hand, do you think, from from seeing her hand writing? Because it's very evocative when you see a forebear's <gasps> handwriting. Mm. Mm, it's beautiful. Her, her handwriting is beautiful. It's got the most gorgeous flow. It's um, it's kind of immaculate. She was uh, taught in a missionary school, so she read and wrote both Te Reo Pākehā and Te Reo Māori. Yeah, fluent in both worlds from birth. You mentioned that she was well paid. I mean, are you, are you forming a picture of uh, a young woman who was ambitious? Mm. I mean, I mean, I just wonder if it was more ambition than some kind of moral stance or some kind of query she had with her people, you know, some kind of revenge. That's, yeah, that's where I'm, I'm coming to. I think, you know, she got to make her own money. You know, she had her own agency. She wasn't bound by any of the restrictions of Pākehā or Māori Wāini at the time. She could, you know, she was kind of the boss of herself in a way. Um, and I think there must have been a bit of... Yeah, a bit of pride in that or a bit of like, look what, I've got this really flash job but I'm hanging out with these, you know, I've got this great te- new technology arriving. I think it's, uh, we need to remind ourselves that when when new technology was coming to the land, it must have been like these new iPhones and stuff like, wow, what's that? You know, this new, all this new stuff you could get your hands on. 
Yeah, I suspect that had a lot to do with it. Also, her sister, Te Paio's guide, Sophia from Whakarewerewa, at the same time was, you know, being really famous over there as a, as a really revered guide and a pride to her people. And then on the other side of, of the island, we've got Lucy, who's just the complete opposite, being quite loathed by her own people. Do you think perhaps when the, you know, Von Tempsky was dead and, and, you know, a couple of decades on, she had a chance to reflect, you know, and decide whether she had done the the right thing or whether to the end of her life she felt justified? She died quite young. She was 50. From what I can find, she was drinking quite a lot. She worked for the Native Land Courts after the wars. Which was clearly estranged from her people, so she'd lost that. Yeah. And she's, there are letters of her sort of not... She's like in between worlds. She's trying to belong to both but belongs to neither, which is another theme I really wanted to explore by somebody who is te ganga arua or bicultural by birth is a feeling that I really understand. So, no, she died at 50 and quite quite sad. I don't think she was having much contact with anyone. Um, she was being kicked out of pubs. Yeah, I think it was a pretty sad demise at the end. Coming to this, uh, with all, all your experience as an, as an actress and knowing this character, of course, Nicola, has that been helpful for you? You know, writing your first play is a huge thing. Uh, but do, has it helped you, do you feel, to, to come understanding what actors require from a script, from a playwright, from a story, from the characterisation? Definitely. I think all my experience, um, I think I've been at it for over 30 years now, and the culmination of my lived experience in this industry is had a huge impact on this work. You know, I see lots of theatre. I've been in lots of theatre. I, I, you know, in my mind, I know what I want to see. I know what works. I know what doesn't. Doesn't make it less terrifying. But, yeah, if I'd written this without a lived knowledge of character, it would be completely different. And I think you touched on this before, Nicola, too. You know, there's a, what, a paucity still of, of great roles for older <laughs> women here? Yeah, I mean, just women in general, you know, it's really interesting. The older you get, you have all this experience and, and your life experience, which really informs your work as an, as, a, as an actor or actress. And then the roles just get smaller and smaller. And, and you know, you're just standing behind some man playing somebody's mum or wife or maid. And it's, you know, makes you feel, it's, it's awful, makes you feel really diminished and, and that your experience is worth nothing. And also, I, I don't see, I don't, the, the voices I want to see, you know, as somebody, as a, as a consumer of theatre or story, is I want to see women that I know represented, and, and I find that quite difficult as well. Um, I want to see women have robust political and, and theological conversations. I want to see them have big, meaty ideas and, and get them out. I don't want to, yeah, so I'm writing to that as well. I'm wondering, actually, if it's more of a struggle at the moment on stage than on screen. I mean, there's been a big push by the New Zealand Film Commission to develop women directors in particular and women's scripts. I'm thinking, say, Cousins, you know, that glorious film that came out Mm. recently. I mean, it had a very long gestation. You know, I just wondered if, if for some reason, it's harder on stage to get those great roles. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's really hard to get an audience in and, and tell those stories, whereas when you're working at screen, you're actually working for a much bigger audience. I think it's, it is changing in theatre. We are seeing a lot more women taking the centre stage, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's slow. It's really slow. And I just kind of figure at my age it's actually time I start contributing to the storytelling. 
um, and start getting those stories. We, I don't think we'll ever have enough. But, um, yeah, whatever we can add in. Nicola Kawana. Kupapa premieres on the 3rd of July as part of Te Po Theatre's Koanga Festival in Auckland.